So there you are. You just arrived at your journalism class. Lunch has just ended. And as you're settling into class, you, you notice a higher than usual amount of commotion on campus. People are coming in saying something's going on. Text messages saying there are cops running through campus. Rumors abound. It's a shooter. Someone was stabbed. There was a bank robber in the library. Scores of students fled across the street to the shopping center and were locked in at the grocery store for their own safety by a cop. Or was it a firefighter? A lot is unclear. But there's no lockdown called. You've been through lockdown drills, and this didn't feel like a drill. So why no lockdown? Minutes tick by. And then an announcement comes over the PA system. The principal says everything is clear and everyone can go to class normally. So what do you do now, student journalist? The Honorable, the Chief Justice, and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee's podcast focused on empowering student journalists and educating the greater community about their rights. My name is Trip Robbins, and I'm a member of the SPRC and a teacher at Menlo School in Northern California, where I'm a journalism advisor. Our goal for each episode of this podcast is to highlight a specific aspect of scholastic press freedom and then bring you an interview related to that topic so you can see how the terms come to life in real schools around the country. Today we're going to be focusing on student press rights around photojournalism. In this podcast, we're going to talk with some student journalists who dealt with the scenario described at the top. But before we get back to the story, let's review some things. Let's start by noting that student press rights vary from state to state in the U.S. Some states have laws that strongly support student press rights, sometimes called new voices laws. Some states have laws that restrict student press laws, many of them citing the 1988 Supreme Court decision, Hazelwood v. Kuhlmeyer, as a foundation. Those states are sometimes called Hazelwood states, and other states' laws fall somewhere in between. One of the big points of this podcast is that a student journalist should be very familiar with the laws about student press rights in their state. More about that later. When it comes to photojournalism, there are a few key concepts to consider. The first term to look at is privacy. In some situations, people have an expectation of privacy, and student journalists taking photos may violate that right to privacy. But generally, student journalists can cover things that happen in public spaces, and that includes taking photos or video. Note those two key words, though, public spaces. So what is a public space? Here's what uslegal.com says. 
A public space is generally an indoor or outdoor area, whether privately or publicly owned, to which the public have access by right or by invitation, expressed or implied, whether by payment of money or not, but not a place when used exclusively by one or more individuals for a private gathering or other personal purpose. So the outdoor area of a school, whether public or private school, is generally going to be a public place in legal terms. As a rule, there's almost no expectation of privacy in such a place. The next thing to consider is fondly known as FERPA. We're not really going to get too deep into FERPA today because of the nature of the scenario we're considering, but it's a term that comes up often in public schools when discussing privacy, so I thought we should just touch on it. Here's what the Student Press Law Center says about it. The Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act was created to protect the privacy of personally identifiable information in a student's education record. However, the courts have been clear that not every document that names or refers to a student is a FERPA record and have typically limited the reach of the statute in a common sense way to records that have something to do with educational activity. FERPA serves a twofold purpose. One, to grant parents and students 18 or older access to information in the student's education record. And two, to protect that information from disclosure to third parties without parental consent. FERPA protection is sometimes misapplied by administrators in an overly broad manner as a way to withhold information or suppress publication of certain information. If you want more details about FERPA abuse, take a look at the SPLC.org website. All right, let's move on. I sometimes give my students breaking news drills. Sometimes I'll make up a scenario or find one in the news and ask them what they would do if they had to cover it. I'll bring them something wild and unexpected, and they sometimes respond with eye rolls and something like, that would never happen at our school. And I understand. It's hard to imagine some one-in-a-million event happening at our little school in our little town, but that's why I do the drills. They're like fire drills. You're training for something that probably won't ever happen, but it might, and that's why we have to train. So let's get back to our scenario. This isn't a made-up situation. This is what really happened at Palo Alto High School in California on November 4th, 2019. And the question about what to do was very real for senior Emma Donnelly Higgins, an editor at Verde Magazine. And her answer was this, get a camera and go check it out. A Verde staff member suggested that they should go investigate. She asked me to go with her and another staffer and we went to the scene and we saw we stood about 75 feet away from where um, we saw an injured police officer on the ground and there were paramedics all, all around him and um, campus security guards and other police officers and they were treating him. Wow. So, listener, you arrive on the scene and this is what you see. What are you going to do? Think about that for a second. Emma continues her explanation of what they did. So we tried to take, we got like one photo and they immediately saw us and said, that's inappropriate, go back to class. And we left because we were intimidated. We didn't know what to do. That's a really good point, that adults are telling you things authoritatively and the instinct, especially if you're a nice kid, right, is to <laughs> obey. And then what happened when you went back to class? <laughs> 
our advisor, Mr. Kendall, took us right back, mm-hmm. and he um, briefed us on basically what to say, that we have the right to be there, and so when it started happening again, we said, this, we said no, we can take photos, it's our right to choose which ones we publish, um, and we just kept taking photos. And at some point, they one of the security guards said, well, Mr. Kendall, it's your choice if they take the photos, and he said, no, it's not, because it's not up to him, it's up to us as student journalists. Did they ever bring up the argument that you were interfering with them doing their work, or because you were so far away that was not an issue? Well, they, yeah, one of them definitely talked about how he's just trying to do his job and keep kids safe. He didn't say that we were interfering, that's what he was implying. We weren't even close to him, so I don't know what that was about. There was no real danger to you? No. Um, but somebody, somebody tried to say that it wasn't safe for you? Yeah, not, I mean, not specifically for us, but just for students in general. So, you get some pictures, you state your rights, you come back to class. What was the discussion then? Verde editor Rachel Litt continues. Well, before we had a class discussion, the Emma and the two staff writers immediately just started writing the story uh, for the sake of timeliness. Um, our first priority was publishing so that students and people in Palo Alto could understand what was happening and to sort of diffuse the confusion around campus. We didn't have a class discussion about what happened until I think the next time we met, which was like a day or two later. Emma presented basically what she just told you. She showed all the photos that she took and kind of briefed the class on why we chose to publish one photo and not another. Another Verde editor, Alex Fang, continues the story. Rachel and I weren't on the scene um, and we were, when Emma and the other staff writers came back with the story and the photos, we were, um, I think the discussion was focused on which photo to publish. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were a few photos one of the like a few of the photos were of the officer. Um, he's more of like a close up. You could see his face, um, and I think we were talking about uh, whether or not we should include photos that included perhaps like like potentially identifying tattoos on his body. Um, and I know a concern that an officer brought up to Emma um, while she was on scene was his family finding out that he was injured through the news story instead of through the department. And so, like, beyond, like, the editing and beyond, like, trying to push it out as fast as possible, we were really focused on making sure that the photo that we chose was able to do its job as, like, a journalistic photo, which was convey, um, convey what happened on scene um, and get the story out to the readers while also making sure that we were respecting the officer's boundaries. So you were balancing speed of publication with what else? with you've named some things already but so as journalists it's like it it is within our rights to like take photos of the scene um and but also as journalists it's our responsibility i think morally like as people to carefully choose which photos that we want to include what would you say the adults involved like we were doing bullet points what did they do wrong or not as well as they could have. I think a lot of the contention like within the situation arose from them like trying to cover our camera and 
push us out of the scene, even though it was within our right to stay there. They, they tried to cover your camera? He, he held his hand up for like a second. Um, he didn't touch it, but yeah. But in front of the lens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's like obviously a concern because um, it was within our rights to st stay at the scene and, and document it. But given the chaos of the situation, and um, like I think we all totally understand their priorities and making sure that we were safe. Um, and with everything moving so fast, I don't think anyone blames them too much for what happened, um, especially because like press rights coming into conflict in like a situation like this hasn't really been something that Pally has experienced before. So this is all new for everyone. Um, but like going forward, we've been trying to make sure that this doesn't happen again with administration. We should probably have you introduce yourself. I'm Paul Kandel, advisor to Verde Magazine at Palo Alto High School. And Paul, when did you, when did you say what to the administration? I think I drafted this statement overnight and shared it with the other advisors and then sent it the following morning. The bullet points are, um, the first complaint was that the campus supervisor said that the, that the journalists had to leave because for their own safety, which was clearly not true since the principal had said that the scene was safe and they were standing behind a barricade. <laughs> the second thing that the campus supervisors were telling the students was that it was that they had to protect the rights of the officer, his privacy rights, uh, and that it was a medical scene and it, in fact, he was in an open space that is usually accessible and visually accessible, so um, that also was not uh, a valid reason to keep the press away. And w was the injured officer on campus still? Oh yeah. Okay. So the injured officer was at the center of the scene. That's what was the. F that's what she was taking photos of. Okay. Um, then the third argument was that it was okay because I was there as their supervisor, which is clearly not uh, a good reason to be covering, following the law. The law says you can take photos. It doesn't say the law, it doesn't, it doesn't say that uh, you can take photos as long as you're being supervised by an adult. Uh, and the fourth thing was that they actually needed to be back in class at that time to which the Student Press Law Center said, and I support fully, this is a news scene, they're in a journalism class, this is their class, especially with their instructor present. Right. Takeaways, like, what do you think other student journalists around the country or their advisors can learn from this? Or what advice would you have for them? It's very different hearing about this and reading about like instances like this versus actually being in one firsthand. Obviously, none of us have ever been in a situation similar to this before. Advice-wise, it's obviously important to be prepared and to be um, as versed as you can in like what your rights are as student journalists because we never expected this situation to happen to us and the decision to go out and report on the story is one that needs to be made very quickly. Um, and the more prepared you are for something to happen like this, the more, I think the more powerful your coverage is gonna be because time is of the essence. 
It's worth noting that when you went out, we sent you with a large press tag that identified you as a journalist. You need your press badges, you need any ID that you have, and you need to be able to show that you're a journalist. It doesn't always help, but it's it's your best your best bet, and you should be doing it. You should identify yourself as a journalist in a situation like that. I also think it's worth noting that the you know the great photos, Pulitzer Prize winning photos from history that you can picture from the civil rights movement of Rodney King, of Tank Man in uh, Tiananmen Square, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning photo from uh, Charlottesville. Like these photos are taken by people who uh, the authorities don't want taking photos. And if it doesn't take much for you to say, you know what? Okay, you're right. I won't take a photo here. And then that opportunity, that moment is lost to uh, history and it's lost to all the people that can benefit from having their stories told. The defenseless people often, often at the hands of police. Obviously, this was not a uh, situation. This was, the, the, this was a police officer was uh, injured here, so it's not exactly the same thing. But we shouldn't reflexively say that we can't take photos of police. That's a terrible thing to say. And we shouldn't reflexively say that we can't take photos of things that happen in public spaces. We should be able to take photos, and students are included in that we. As, as Emma kind of said earlier, if you don't take the photo in the first place, you never have the chance to make the ethical decision or legal decision about whether to publish it. So taking the photos is usually the right thing to do. Get the photos, get the video. That about wraps it up. I want to thank our guests, Verde Magazine editors, Emma Donnelly-Higgins, Rachel Litt, and Alex Fang, and their advisor, Paul Kandel. As we've heard, surprising things will happen at your school and in your community. So student journalists and their advisors need to be very familiar with the laws around student publication in their states. And then, as Joseph Medill said, be bold. Grab that camera and go investigate. Only then will you have the chance to make the ethical decisions about what to publish. If you've struggled with challenges around student press rights, send us an email describing your situation or asking a question, and we'll respond in a future episode. You can reach us at sprc at jea.org with the subject line podcast, or tweet us at at jeapressrights. So you don't miss out on future episodes, please subscribe to this podcast through any of the many podcast applications available for your computer or phone. You can find the Scholastic Press Rights Committee online at jeasprc.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, student voices matter. <laughs>